Folks, welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Welcome, welcome. It's always great to have you here with us. And as I often do, a little preview of what's coming up. Later on for our inbox, we have a listener who's asking, why should Christians dress modestly? And so one of our counselors, Joni DeBrito, is going to weigh in on that. And then for our culture segment, have you ever struggled with wanting to have a family, but you weren't sure if it could work? Maybe it's your past. Maybe it's just some of your habits, something where you feel like, I don't know if I could do this successfully. Well, two members of our counseling team here at Focus on the Family and Boundless are going to address this topic for us. Um, because I'm hoping that it will give you a little bit of hope for moving towards marriage and family if that's what God has for you. All right, well, here we are for our roundtable. And, you know, before you can get to marriage and family, you actually have to learn how to be a healthy person (laughs) and a healthy communicator and a person who can do conflict and all this stuff. And one of the great skills that I think we underestimate today is being a good listener. Um, There's always these leadership, you know, seminars out there and whatever about being assertive and knowing how to speak, you know, speak up and say what you need to say and influence people and stuff. But sometimes some great gains are made in actually listening to people as well. And so um, I want to go ahead and talk about that today, how to really be a good listener and what are some ways to go after that and build it as a skill. And so Brie and John are here. Hey, guys. Hey. Hello. Good to have you. And then Katie Moore is back. Hey, Hello. Katie. Great to have you back. Yeah, so glad to be back. This is really fun for us. So the first thing we have to do is, um, because, you know, what better thing to do as Christians than rate ourselves and give ourselves numbers? Let's give ourselves all a rating (laughs) on how, (laughs) in the legalistic scheme of things, uh, how good of a listener are you on a scale from 1 to 10? What would you say? Katie, why don't you start us Mm, off? I say about a 6.5 or a 7. Okay. That's where I'm kind of at. I feel like there's always room to grow in this area. Um, as someone, I have ADHD, so it is hard for me sometimes in a long-form setting to focus. Um, I get really easily distracted, and it's really easy for me to interrupt people. Um, so I've noticed that that's something that I really, when someone wants to have a serious discussion with me and needs a listener, then I really need to be intentional <laughs> about, okay, I'm going to focus on you, I'm going to focus on you, I'm going to focus on what you're saying, and almost like repeat the words back in my head. So mm-hmm. I think I've gotten better at it. Mm-hmm. There's always room for improvement in this that's area. That's good. So 6.5. Yeah. Okay. I'm kind of wondering where that 0.5 is coming from, but we'll circle back to that. <laughs> John, how about you? I don't want this to sound like I'm dodging the question, but oh, no. it truly depends on who the person is that I'm talking to. Okay. Because sometimes it can be as high as a seven or an eight. And it, it also really depends on if the conversation is dynamic or if it's one-sided. Because if it's very one-sided, it could easily slip down to a three or four for me. I can be listening, nodding my head, and I'm thinking about something that happened five years ago. But if If it's really dynamic and both of us are super engaged in the conversation and we can tangibly feel that, hey, we're really wanting to keep this conversation going, probably a seven or an eight. Okay. That's good. I really wanted you to give yourself a 10 so that I could say our next roundtable will be on how prideful are you and John will be featured on that. No, just kidding. That's good. That's an honest answer. And I would say John is a good, he's a good listener Mm -hmm. overall. So he's going to drive our scores up a little bit. So. 
Well, I said that I'm an eight. Mm. No, I'm just so kidding. So I'm prideful. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> Giving her a hard time. Um, I don't do halves, so I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but I said that because I'm not a perfect 10, and I would say that my biggest struggle is actually that I'm a pretty big fixer. So if somebody's talking to me, I'm a lot of times I'm trying to figure out a solution or some sort of fix to their problem mm-hmm. that they don't always want. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not a perfect 10 because of that. Okay. So based on these answers, I think I'm going to give myself a six. I actually was going to give myself a five, which is funny because I actually love asking good questions. And I love, I mean, it's why I've been able to do a podcast for so long. And Mm -hmm. I'm genuinely curious about people. My problem is I, a little bit of what Bree said, I tend to anticipate what people are going to say. And so I've already finished people's statements in my head before they said them. And then I'm on to the next thing. And so Mm -hmm. I think it might be a little bit too much of multitasking in my own head Mm -hmm. or feeling like, to Bree's point, I have the answer to what they're even bringing up. And so why don't I just weigh in with it sooner rather than later, save them the words, (laughs) So, which can be super annoying. I will say that it maybe depends for me a little bit as well on if I am in a small group situation, having the luxury of sitting back and listening and taking that in, maybe not feeling all the pressure of bearing the burden of the conversation actually helps me out a little bit as well. So that's interesting. So that is, I think for all of us, it can be a struggle based Based on the circumstances uh, or yeah. the, oh, yeah, for the sure. person. John's answer makes a lot of sense. Of It depends on the person. Yeah. yeah. And also the, um, the other thing I have, a, just because I'm a really high logic person and a, a high T, for example, on the Myers-Briggs, is when people do a lot of verbal processing, especially emotionally, I just start checking out pretty quickly. <laughs> like I'm that's very, way. that's super hard way. for me when it's a lot of emotion or circuitous reasoning Mm. of stuff. And I'm like, why don't you work that out in your own head? And then let's circle back and we can talk (laughs) about, you know, just again, it's the expediency issue, which just makes me look like a jerk. So that's not good. Um, Anyway, what, how did you come about an awareness of where you are as a listener? Because I don't feel like this is, again, as many personal growth things. It's not like we all have these super great friends that are like, anyway, you're not a great listener. And so let me tell you how to be a better one. Mm-hmm. Though sometimes we may have people in our life that mm-hmm. do that, but how how have you kind of been triggered to your awareness of being a listener, either good or bad, and have you taken steps to kind of start improving that? I think a great indicator is how much is somebody willing to share hard stuff with you? Mm-hmm. That is a That's very, great, yeah. very big thing for sure, because I know me personally, every time I've gone to therapy it's because I'm about to bring something really tough up or I need to address something tough. I mean, I don't go to therapy to show them a bunch of YouTube videos and say, Hey, here's 10 things that I laughed at this week. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I do with my friends. And in the same way I've noticed, um, I feel like since the pandemic, there's been more and more people coming up to me who've been willing to talk about hard stuff. And sometimes listening through those is not easy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it's tough. I mean, you want to speak up, you want to offer advice, and you can't. Sometimes people just need a safe person to talk to who really mm-hmm. cares. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. Thankfully for me, I did have someone who spoke up and was like, um, you need to maybe just back off and let me talk about what I want to talk about for a second. Okay. Let me just get it out. And I think something that I've really had to learn is um, ask the question when someone starts talking to you about a hard situation, 
do you want an answer or do you just want to get out the emotion? Mm -hmm. I think that's always such a good question to start out with um, because I am sometimes in my head going off to a different place and then I come back and I'm like, well, I already already know the answer to your problem. Mm -hmm. So here it is. And they're Mm -hmm. like, I didn't want a solution. I just wanted to get this emotion out. And I'm like you, Lisa, like when someone starts expressing emotion, I'm like, you can deal with that. Like, I'm fine to talk about it, but like, you need to deal with that. Come back to me. I'll give you the answer kind Mm -hmm. of person, Mm -hmm. Um, which is not, helpful in every situation so Mm -hmm. I think asking yourself asking the person that question before like as they're getting into it like okay what do you want from this conversation Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and most of the time they just want to they just want to be heard they Mm -hmm. just want to be listened to so that's something that I've really had to learn to do in those conversations yeah that's interesting good well what's funny is that's almost exactly what I was going to say Mm. although mine came more from I'd say strife in relationships so specifically with my husband and just in our communication, he had to start saying like, I want you to just listen to me so that I can be heard. I don't want advice. I don't want you to fix my problem mm-hmm. because I would come into it and I'd be like, okay, let's go. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a solution for you at the end of this conversation. And he's mm-hmm. like, no, mm-mm. I mm-hmm. just, I just want to process it verbally. Mm-hmm. That's how I've gotten there. Now, how do you navigate, like, him being a counselor? Does he go counselor on you, or is he pretty good about backing up? It sounds like you're getting more <laughs> direction from him on don't be a counselor. I'm a counselor. I can do my own counseling, you know, whatever. He's very good at, like, I'm not one of his clients. He's okay. very good at talking to me as his wife, not, mm-hmm. <laughs> not That's good. one of his clients. Um, but I think he recognizes, too, that I am a verbal processor, and so sometimes when I'm talking, he's like, well, do you want advice or do you just want to be heard? Mm-hmm. And most of the time I just want to be heard. And so he's kind of modeled that for me. And then I've started adapting that. So it's it's not super like forceful, I wouldn't say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. All right. So flipping to the other side of this, have you been in conversations where you realize the other person is checking out? And what do you do in that kind of instance? Like, do you, are you more a, oh, no, I'm going to be heard, so I'm just going to push forward on this? Or are you like, nope, this is wasted time, I'm going to move on? Or do you actually, I mean, especially when it's people that you're pretty consistently having to interact with, it's not like you can mm-hmm. just never talk to them again. Mm-hmm. So what do you do in those kind of circumstances? I can think of a few work examples, but it was mostly in group meetings. Mm. I think it's much easier to check out in group meetings versus one-on-one conversations because one-on-one conversations, especially if it's a serious topic, it's much easier to (laughs) show that you're checking out and it's a lot easier to get called out if you're in a one-on-one conversation. But I can think of a couple times where I was giving presentations and people started staring at their phones and I thought, oh, great, this pitch I'm giving is not <laughs> is not going real well. And because it was a work situation, I had to just persevere through it and then get to the end. But a thing that did help was to get feedback afterwards, to go to a one-on-one conversation with somebody who had authority and could chime in with their opinion on something mm-hmm. um, afterwards. That definitely helped a lot. But yeah, it's pretty embarrassing, especially if you're giving a presentation and then all of a sudden you realize people are staring at their phones and are more interested in scrolling social media than they are in what you have to say. Yeah. That's not a good feeling. Yeah. Well, here, um, John, you're going to feel better about this. One time I was actually leading a team devotional here at Focus on the Family and a guy, it was for another department, and one of the guys actually fell asleep and started oh, snoring no. while I was talking. So <laughs> I'm like, uh, I'm not sure. 
Yeah, it was it was pretty great. But you know who felt worse than even me was the head of the department who had invited me. Because <laughs> it's like, I think someone was kind of trying to nudge him and be like, uh, you need to wake up. That's, but he wasn't really waking up. He was kind of oh, out. No. So it was all around awkward. But, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think it kind of depends on your relationship with people. So like in yes. a work situation, yes, like you said, sure. like you kind of have to persevere. But if you have a close relationship with them, you can be like, hey, could you actually put your phone down for a minute? Mm-hmm. I want to get this out. Or something like, I think in several of my friend groups, we just have the precedence that our phone isn't even on the table. Mm-hmm. Like it's in our pocket or it's in our bag because... If it's out, you're more tempted to look at it. And, I mean, there was a popular trend a while ago, like a while ago, where people would, like, put their phones in the middle of the table, mm-hmm. and whoever touched it first had to pay for the meal, so mm-hmm. nobody touched their phone. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I don't know if it's, like, such a an epidemic now that people are on their phones regularly, but I think our attention spans are shorter, and mm-hmm. so we all really have to work to listen, and I think we just kind of have to encourage our friends to be like, hey... I'm right here. Yeah, Yeah, I was going to say something very similar because, you know, if it's someone that I'm not super close to, I'm just going to back away and be like, okay, maybe this is wasted time. I'm just going to wrap up this conversation. It's not worth it in the end. I think it's wasted time for both of us. But if it is someone who I'm close friends with and I really want to have a serious conversation with them, then I will be like, hey, like, I'll say it in a loving way, even though it's like screaming in my mind. But Mm -hmm. I'll just be like, hey, like, I'm really trying to talk to you about this thing it's really serious and important to me could you put down your phone for a little bit or um could you like make eye contact with me so that you're showing me that you're listening like just something to help me feel like I'm being heard Mm -hmm. I think we've all been in that situation where like you start a story or something Mm -hmm. in a group of friends and then you realize nobody's listening and your story just kind of fizzles out and goes silent Mm -hmm. so I really try to be that person in groups where if somebody's sharing a story I'm making eye contact with them. Paying and attention. as if yeah. they fizzle, like start to fizzle their story because they realize very few people are listening. That's when I'm like, I'm listening. I'm looking at you. Like, yeah. I want to hear your story. Please continue. Mm-hmm. So, Or the person. Okay, so this is going to bring me to my next question, which I already have four examples in my head, I think. So I definitely want to ask you guys mm-hmm. of just what some of those conversational cues are of like, whether it's inappropriateness, whether it's something where it's just this is a bad conversation tactic, and it could be on both sides, the listener or the speaker, of just things that would be helpful for us to know because they're just bad, aggravating cues. And Bree, the one you just said reminded me of like when you are, someone asks you to tell a story or something, your mid-story, someone else jumps in because they're relating to it. So all of a sudden they're into their thing or something gets interrupted elsewhere. And I so appreciate the people, Brie, maybe you're this person then, who then come around and say, okay, but Lisa, finish your story yeah. or do that, you know, because sometimes people just let it go or you're like, yeah. was anyone even listening or yeah. people are yeah. so mm-hmm. concerned with weighing in with their two cents or whatever. Mm-hmm. I always find it really honoring when someone circles back. It's usually an introvert. <laughs> it's usually the the actual like good listener person yeah. who has the natural skills and stuff who's like, well, anyway, let's circle back and tie up that that end. I appreciate that. But that said... What are some other things that really bug you, either coming out of yourself or out of other people? Oh, my gosh. A lot of examples. That one I really appreciate, mm-hmm. Lisa, because one of my roommates – so in my house, there's five girls living together, and we're all pretty loud, and there's only one introvert. And she is the one who will always be like, 
hey, 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 can you pause there? She was trying to say something. Right. Which I always appreciate. Um, I'm a lot of the times the interrupter, so that's a nice reality (laughs) check for me. But another thing is when I'm trying to have a serious conversation and the person who's listening is trying to make a joke to lighten the mood, Mm -hmm. that grinds my gears more than anything. Because I'm trying to get through a serious conversation. I don't have them that often. I'm someone who most of the time will just let stuff go. But when I am trying to have that conversation and someone makes a joke, oh my gosh, that just really makes me feel less than. It really does. So that's something that is always like, if someone's trying to have a serious conversation with you, maybe just back away. Let them talk. Don't try to make light of it unless you're towards the end of the conversation and maybe they made a joke. Then maybe Mm -hmm. it's appropriate for you to make a joke. But Mm -hmm. in between, Mm -hmm. just don't. I think it's like something for me that's kind of a a pet peeve in conversations is if I can tell that they are not actively listening. Mm. So that does involve like eye contact and nodding your head and like being a part of our conversation, but also like actually having follow-up questions and talking to me and asking me for more information rather than just saying like, hmm, that's cool. Like, that wasn't cool. You yeah. weren't even listening. <laughs> You're not you participating know. in this conversation yeah. at all. Yeah. 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 Like, just I just want to be heard. expected phrases. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's okay. With. Cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I may have used those words when it was one-sided. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I think if there is a consistent pattern of rambling, and I, I talked earlier about um, one-sided conversations, it does bug me if I know that every time I see somebody, I know it's going to be a 30-minute speech about how awful their day was. Mm-hmm. That That's tough. And mm-hmm. I... Yes. I tend to be kind of polite. And so sometimes my politeness may come across as that I'm listening, but internally I'm thinking, gosh, can I please get a phone call right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and that's, that's terrible for me to admit that because sometimes I genuinely care about people. And there are times where we just need to get something off our chest. Right. Mm-hmm. And But when it's a consistent pattern of here's how tough the day was, here's how awful it was, and when that just piles up over time, that unfortunately sends a message to me, okay, I don't know if I, how much I can trust somebody. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, a couple that I thought of. One is the, the one-upper, which oh, I have yeah. to oh, put myself in this category sometimes because I, you guys know, I have a story for every scenario in <laughs> everyone's true, yeah. life. Yeah. Like I can think, and I don't know if it's just the way that I see life or whatever, but I remember things and I just have an anecdote that applies to everything. And Mm -hmm. so it's not, I have had to actually cut myself off in my own head to listen to someone else's story instead of saying, you know, that reminds me of when I did, because I will easily do that. And so that's a bad, bad habit. The other thing that drives me bananas, which often happens to me with people in leadership like whether it's a work situation, whether it's spiritual leadership or something, is the person who, and they may come up to you and ask you a question or whatever. And then this happened to me a few weeks ago. A guy's like, hey, you know, I heard you were sick a few weeks ago. Are you feeling better? And I'm like, yeah, I said it was pretty rough for a while because I kind of had three things in a row. And he just like walked away. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, Ask the Uh, question, it's like the swoop in and you're done, you know, and it was like, and so the tandem to that, which even drives me more nuts probably, 
is the person who will sit and be in a conversation with you, but they're constantly looking around for who's walking mm-hmm. by, who's, especially if that, yeah. you know, is there a more interesting or more important yep. person that's coming into my sphere that I better acknowledge or say, and the constant like, hey, how's it going? How are interrupting? Yep. I'm just like, can you just like look me in the eye and mm-hmm. actually complete this conversation before yep. moving on? Or like asking questions that they don't actually want answers to. Like yeah. Yeah. if you're going to ask me, how are you doing? And you don't actually want to hear the answer. Maybe don't ask like the question. Like if you just walk yeah. away. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. You're just walking by in the hall and they're like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> Keep walking. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, man, that's hilarious. So, okay, well, let's give – there's one other caveat that I want to bring here really quickly, and that is being in a conversation with someone who is saying something that you totally disagree with. Mm-hmm. So – Conflict can happen. Do you measure yourself and say, is it worth even entering into this? Is it worth weighing in? Is it worth... Because now you're like, you know, you, we've all talked to those people that it's clear that they don't want to hear two sides of a conversation, mm-hmm. you know, or two sides of an issue or whatever. So how do you make that decision for, do I go there or don't I? Yeah. I think it depends on the person for mm-hmm. me. Like, it's like, if it's a close friend and they say something that kind of goes off as an alert in my head of like, hmm, that sounds not right. Then I take a breath before I get angry mm-hmm. because <laughs> having siblings, you have to learn how to take a breath before you <laughs> respond to something they say just to mm-hmm. like get at you. I think you have to take a breath and really say a quick prayer really quickly and be like, okay, is this, are they going to hear what I have to say? Mm-hmm. Are they going to, can I say it with love is another thing. Say it with grace mm-hmm. without because alienating them, because sometimes if you come at them a little too hard, too fast, then they're like, eh. mm-hmm. they're just going to fight back and they're not going to hear what you have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's someone who I don't really know that well, most of the time I'll just brush it off because they're, mm-hmm. they don't know me well enough to trust what I have to say and to really take my opinion if or tr- whatever it is, they're not going to take that as they're just not going to respond yeah, in a go good there. way. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think if it's actually bad, I'll say something or I'll speak up. But if a lot of times, or I guess most of the times, if I disagree, I'll just listen because I think it's important to have friends that think differently than Mm -hmm. I do. And I think that it's going to help me pursue personal growth and consider things that maybe I haven't considered before. Because if I'm surrounding myself with people who only think like I do, I'm going to just be stuck in my same spot forever. But if Mm -hmm. I have people that challenge my views, it's going to make me actually ponder, why do I believe what I believe? And I can hold more firmly to it because I have reasons why, rather than just saying, oh, well, all my friends think this. So Mm -hmm. I think this. Yeah. Yeah. Mine is a little bit similar to both of y'all in that there has to be trust in a relationship before I feel comfortable enough to actually call somebody out. I'm not the type who goes around confronting everybody Mm -hmm. (laughs) as a part-time job. Some people are naturally (laughs) very good at it, Mm -hmm. but um, that's an area I'm still trying to grow in for sure. But I I think a big thing, this may sound like a Christian cliche answer, but it's real. You have to rely on the Holy Spirit sometimes. Mm -hmm. I had a situation over Christmas break where a family member made a passing comment to me, and it was late at night. And I remember I was standing there, and in the back of my mind, boy, I really wanted to throw a verbal jab. Mm. But I knew the Holy Spirit was saying, John, don't do it. It's not worth it. Mm -hmm. And I was very thankful that in that moment I bit my tongue, because a few days later that some things had actually come to light about what this person was saying that actually was pretty 
credible and made their point more valid. And I realized, okay, that just needed some time. I needed to sleep on it. That was not a time for me to actually throw a verbal jab because I could have done a lot of damage in that moment Mm -hmm. um, if I had really gotten upset and allowed my emotions to take over. But I think another thing, too, is... If we see somebody who is making a bad decision and it's, for lack of a better term, killing them, or there is just some warning signs that if they don't deal with this, they're going to really crash and burn, pray through it and maybe even get a counselor involved in case Mm -hmm. um, it needs Mm -hmm. to be dealt with. And maybe even try to probe a little bit, see how they handle a little bit of confrontation. Because sometimes if you go in full blast, you may not build the trust to actually work your way to that point where it's going to be constructive, but maybe try a a little bit of confrontation along the lines of, well, you seem kind of bitter right now, (laughs) as opposed to, by God, you're living in sin. You need to stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's good. And I think it's so interesting how, and I find this more with what I would say younger generations, millennials and Gen Z, who are more reticent to disagree with someone or to even have a yeah. strong opinion and it's more kind of like okay well you know what and the the exaggerated example of this is just as we talked to Elisa Childers recently you know well if that's your truth that's good you know okay so we don't want to go that far mm-hmm. but at the same time being able to be that person who can take a differing opinion and one of the best tactics that I heard and have tried to practice in this is following up with another question Mm -hmm. rather than saying, okay, you just shared your opinion. I disagree with that. Let Mm -hmm. me tell you my opinion. So this is really helpful, especially now for those of us in the U.S. who are in a national election season when people are going to start sharing their opinions on all kinds of things and probably assuming that you share their opinion. I found it's really helpful for me to turn around and say, That's really interesting. Tell me more. I'd love to hear what made you come to that conclusion or how did you, what experiences have made you value this over Mm -hmm. this or whatever. And then it kind of puts them again in the seat, but it shows that you care. Mm -hmm. It shows to Bree's point that you're not just about my way or the highway on everything. And you think you have the corner on all truth. And it really opens up the opportunity for relationship, which I think is really helpful to be able to have that conversation. Um, and then sometimes actually they're going to be like, yeah, I'm not totally sure, you know, and maybe, it, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's a good question for us to ask ourselves too, mm-hmm. even thinking through like why we hold certain opinions or whatever. So, well, this is a great start, you guys, for having this conversation, realizing we probably can all improve on the listening scale, me mostly. And so uh, maybe we'll practice some of these things and check in with one another, see how we're doing. Yeah. Maybe I'll reach the 10. <laughs> we will. We'll be the judge of that, Brie. We'll, yeah. we'll let you yeah. know. So, Sorry, what did you say? Good, th- <laughs> good thoughts, you guys. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Lisa. Lisa. This world is a thief. Walking the streets trying to steal my hope. Steal my dreams. Dressed up in disguise. Whispering lies so sweet. I don't want to go one more day. Watching you take. All the good things in this life The good Lord gave I'm taking back what belongs to me I'm ready to
All right, folks, here we are for our culture segment. And you know, uh, those of you who've been around the show for a long time, that this tends to be a segment where I do an interview with folks. Sometimes it's an author, sometimes it's a theologian, sometimes it's an artist or some other newsmaker. And sometimes it's just people that are in our own sphere uh, right here at Boundless and Focus on the Family. And today, that's what it is, because we are going to be talking to two of our licensed professional counselors uh, here at Focus on the Family. And so we have Carrie, who's been here before. Hey, Carrie. Hi, Lisa. Good to have you back. Um, We were just talking about weather and walking around in the weather when maybe you're not quite ready to face other people um, based on (laughs) how you've not put yourself together. That's me pretty much most days. Um, But anyway, it's always good to see you, Carrie. And then we have a newcomer uh, to our table, at least. We have Craig, one of our counselors. Hey, Craig. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So um, Craig is sipping on tea, and we're going to let him do that um, because he said he cannot go for 20 minutes without taking a sip of tea. No, I'm just kidding. I'm so giving them a hard time. This is this the way I roll. So, okay. Well, today we are going to ply your ears, the two of you as experts, but you can also share from your own experience as well. You don't only have to wear an expert hat. On the topic of how to maintain hope for a family someday, even when when a good one wasn't modeled for you. So a lot of young adults in our audience are dating, maybe engaged, maybe not, but hoping to be married someday. But they're kind of like, eh, I don't know if I can do this because it seems to be kind of a dumpster fire out there relationally. (laughs) Uh, The New Year is not really helping us. And so the statistics aren't great. And so we need to infuse maybe a little bit of encouragement Uh, into this for them. And so um, let's go ahead and do that. So I kind of want to start out by asking you, this is kind of a general question, so I'd be interested to hear how you would each respond. If someone just asked you, like, why is family still a good thing to pursue? What would your answer be to that? Because I feel like we've got a lot of folks now. Now, In fact, I just read an article this morning saying that there are 35 million more single people now heading into the new year, having broken off relationships, having gone through a divorce wave at the end of the Mm -hmm. year, all of that. I think a lot of people are like, you know what? I've got my dog and I'm good. And I don't even see why we need or why we need marriage to begin with. So how would you guys answer that from your perspective? I'll tackle it first. Um, When I uh, was thinking about this question, I really thought about how the folks that have made the decision to have a family, get married and have a family, I have never, and I know we, we, we hesitate to use the word never and always, but I have never, to my recollection, ever talked to somebody who decided to get married and have kids um, that said, I wish I didn't have kids. Mm -hmm. I think there is more fear and anxiety that doesn't necessarily match the real experience. Is raising kids challenging? Is maintaining a healthy marriage challenging? Yes. Does that translate into regret? No. Mm -hmm. I've literally never heard anybody say that. Um, so I think I think bearing that in mind, that the anticipation of the thing you haven't experienced uh, versus the reality from people that have experienced it, yes, there's challenges. Yes, it's stressful. Yes, it's, you know, can be all consuming at times, but do they have regrets? 
most people will tell you that they grow through it mm-hmm. and they grow because of it. Yeah, that's interesting. My, um, I will say my brother-in-law did tell me one time, but it was on a rogue Saturday morning <laughs> when he was having a rough time with his boys and he was remembering how to get married and have kids. He had to give up both his BMW and his Camaro that mm-hmm. he had bought as a yeah. single dude. Mm-hmm. So there are some things, okay? But <laughs> but like you said, maybe in the larger scheme of things, not as many regrets when you see the benefits benefits of that. So, Craig, what do you think? Yeah, I would say the challenge of it is part of the benefit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's for non-Christians, there's a lot of reasons why you can talk through the different benefits of of family. There's a lot of statistics on the health benefits of that, mental health benefits that happen there, but honestly for Christians, the challenge is how we grow, the challenge is how we change. That's how we give things to God. And if he's calling us to start a family, why would we want to move in a different direction than what God's calling us to? Yeah. Okay. Well, so let's talk a little bit about the realities that a lot of young adults are facing. Because I think, you know, I always go back to, and there are other things that I've posited this kind of on, is if I think of my grandparents, there are just a lot of things that my grandparents didn't think about or maybe didn't talk about. I don't remember my grandparents ever saying of each other, well, yeah, I really had to check out their baggage or their background Mm -hmm. or see if they'd been done enough counseling Mm -hmm. or check their mental health status or whatever. But now that is like the norm. I mean, you need to know like what what is someone's family of origin? What are they bringing into a relationship? Mm-hmm. What have they dealt with? What haven't they? Mm-hmm. What have they gotten help for? What does that look like? I mean, there. I mean, and even serious issues like issues of abuse. I mean, multiple. Maybe their parents went through multiple marriages or multiple relationships. So, why? First of all, let's uh, let me ask you: Why do you think that is? And do you think it is right for young adults to be so a little bit gun shy and concerned about? a relationship that they may be getting into and needing to do kind of that legwork on background stuff. Are you asking whether or not we should be there? I guess I who knows what I'm asking, Carrie. <laughs> I'm asking like five things. Okay. So just for the No, I'm I guess I'm asking like what do you see that as like a real cultural shift mm. that has happened over generations? And is it something that we should tackle head on as far as like I can't get into a relationship until I figure out all this stuff about me and this other person. Um, I mean, guilty. Yeah. I sleuthed yeah. my husband <laughs> yeah. in, in the early stages of our relationship, too. We've just moved into a place as a culture where we have access to so much more information. And we've also really become a people that are very distrusting yeah. of one another, regardless of what our family of origin uh, was um, we always sort of, I think, live with this feeling of, can I really trust that this person has been really forthcoming? Not just in dating relationships. I think it's that way in friendships. I think that's that way with your employer. There's just this generalized sense of distrust and self-preservation. And I don't know that we're entirely exempt from it, you know, uh, as Christians either. On the other hand, I don't see it going back to the, you know, those days where, you know, my grandparents met in high school, got married before, you know, grandpa went off to war, um, yeah. didn't know each in other, like complete strangers. Weeks, yeah. You know, yeah. 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 Um, probably not the best way to go about marriage either, but those days are, are gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of it is that the statistics on divorce have been around for a while. 
Like we've all seen what the effect is of it. And so, right. like you talked about earlier, Carrie, it's anxiety. Mm-hmm. Anxiety is borrowing fear from the future, mm-hmm. saying, okay, I can anticipate the problems and feel safer by that. Mm-hmm. We're in an anxious society. Everyone's mm-hmm. anticipating the problems. They don't want to be that 50% divorce rate. That's and good. so people are just mm-hmm. worried mm-hmm. about that. But mm-hmm. even if you get all the background on it, even if you find everything about the person, how do you know that right. the next trauma is not going to pop up, the next right. wound's not going to be there, that are they the person that can work through those things or not? Mm-hmm. You don't know. And that's mm-hmm. a difficult thing to anticipate or work with. Mm-hmm. So give us a little insight as to what might be red flags, yellow flags, and then green flags when kind of assessing whether it's a person or the state of your relationship or whatever, just to give kind of our listeners an idea of like, yeah, I mean, am I asking enough questions or am I asking too many questions? I mean, again, there's a paralysis of of feeling mm-hmm. like no one will measure up. Like you want yeah. to know everything about the person before you marry them and they better be completely healthy and perfect and sin-free, um, <laughs> which I guess isn't possible. I mean, I guess I'm still looking for it, you know, whatever. But no, um, but also kind of having that balance. Like, are there things that you would counsel someone maybe in a relationship right now to say, absolutely not, the brakes need to go here, mm-hmm. or maybe this bears some more investigation or more time or more questions or whatever? What are just a few guidelines on that front? Well, do you think you have to allow enough time you know, in the relationship to really allow for a lot of honesty and transparency. Yeah. You know, on, on the show, we've, I've talked a lot about how, you know, my now husband, then boyfriend was not at all the prototype of what I was looking for. If you were trying to steer clear of, of baggage alone as a marker for a healthy marriage, we would not have gotten married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He'd been married before. He had kids. Some of the kids were involved in drugs at the time. There was a lot going on. He had been an alcoholic earlier in his life. Um, but what I also uh, illuminate in that is, you know, my husband was living in community. He was serving as a single man. He was raising his kids as a single parent. He had been a single parent twice and had um, all of his kids, um, you know, worked his way, you know, through his addictions, had had lived you know, valued in community, had done extensive counsel, um, and loved the Lord. You know, does it take away the story? Uh, does it take away the past? No. But what are the other things, you know, really that you're that you're looking for in the current picture? And I mean, this is not what the audience probably wants to hear, but at the end of the day, there's a heck of a lot of faith and trust yeah. and reliance on the Holy Spirit. In addition to that, living in community where other people can maybe see things that you can't when you're kind of blinded by love and those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, it is a leap of faith. Mm -hmm. I think that's key. People that can see things that you can't, Mm -hmm. right? Because there aren't really rules with the red flags. Mm -hmm. Some people that are coming out of recovery for some sort of addiction, some of them, they're going to relapse into that. There are others that are healthier because they've gone through right. that battle, right? Right. Mm-hmm. You don't know it when you – know, I do a lot of premarital counseling with people. I run them through the same paces that I do for married couples. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, you get to see the person's character. Is this someone that can change? Mm-hmm. Are they willing to grow? Do they have mm-hmm. humility? Do they have a real love for God mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to serve God? Mm-hmm. Those are – those are, are a lot of really important factors that you can't just figure out by sending an email with some questions in them. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and that's a good point. And so clearly, Carrie, in your situation, you did, you raised some of the questions. I mean, you obviously knew, it wasn't like your now husband was keeping things from you. Mm -hmm. And so you were able to kind of at least, maybe with some objective eyes, like Craig is saying, (laughs) get some of those questions answered and have the assurance that, okay, I can move forward. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, what do we do about, um, you know, I referenced family of origin. Let's talk about extended family, because a lot of people will go into marriage saying, oh, you don't just marry the person, you marry their family. Well, what if their family is a disaster? What if they're estranged from a parent? Or what if they're, and maybe they haven't totally reconciled that yet, or what that looks like? How would you uh, counsel someone to navigate that, not only for their own family, but maybe for the person they're dating, like what they should think about? Um, You know, a lot of people, sadly, and actually grow up in a high conflict, you know, low attachment family. Um, and, and, you know, Craig and I were talking about this a little bit for before the show. If you've grown up in that kind of family or, or your, your boyfriend, you know, potential spouse has grown up in that kind of a family, one of you may have either overtly or subconsciously made a vow. That vow being, I will not do that. I will not be that. Um, now, some people can make that vow and say, well, I won't do that in my marriage. I won't do that in my family. Other people may take that vow and say, that was so painful. That was so hard. I will not do that. I I, I won't be married. I won't have a. I won't have kids. Um, and I think we have to be really careful. Uh, you know, with those vows. I was thinking as an example. Um, my dad has shared that that you know he grew up in a fairly dysfunctional home, parents who were a divorce, high conflict, low attachment family, and he made that vow. But his wasn't, I'm never going to get married. His was, I will not have a marriage and a family like that. And that kind of a vow really carried him through those times of realizing, oh, conflict exists in every family. Sometimes you don't feel attached to your kids when they're, you know, misbehaving in rebellion, et cetera, et cetera. Those kinds of vows can really carry you in a marriage and can carry you in a commitment in a way that, you know, maybe your family of origin couldn't do or didn't do. Okay. So what did he do to ensure that? Because I think a lot of people are just rose-colored glasses, like, I'm not going to be my parents or whatever, but they don't necessarily have the tools to not be that. Was Did he have to take some steps to ensure that his marriage was different? Yes. And I was going to – I kind of made a note about that um, – I think my my parents, both of them, my mom didn't grow up in a dysfunctional home, but a low attachment home. They both had to become students of a subject that they didn't really get information about from living in a healthy family. Um, they didn't necessarily grow up in Christian homes either. So when they you know, started going to a Christian church and were surrounded by these families or these marriages that actually studied mm. you know how to you know how to have a healthy marriage, I mean, I remember as a young, uh, and, and this was when I was in um, early junior high. But I remember my parents reading constantly books by James Dobson or, you know, how to raise your kids or how to have a healthy marriage. And they were going to all these classes. And, you know, those were the days of kinship groups. And they were in groups with people that had, you know, families that were healthier um, or maybe not healthy, but learning and leaning into one another in that. So they really had to become students, recognize that they had to become students of a subject that wasn't modeled for them. Craig, how about you? Anything to add on extended family? Yeah, I think one of the things I've seen in every couple, one of the topics that they polarize on is how close is your family? And I don't necessarily mean close in a good way. You're 
almost always going to have one person who comes from a more enmeshed family where they have trouble with the boundaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody cares a lot about what everybody else is doing. Uh, you're going to have another person coming from a more independent family where they care too little about what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. That oftentimes causes those clashes. But you know, I think it goes back to what Carrie's talking about, the vows that we say, of, of, I'm not going to be treated like that. No one's, we're an independent unit. My mother-in-law is not going to treat me that way. They're not going to infringe on this. We need to have the time. Oftentimes, those are what causes the problems is we walk into those relationships with our expectation of what's going to happen and how right. it's going to be. So vows can be detrimental or vows can be helpful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think the most important piece is, do you have that unity in your marriage? Mm-hmm. Are you two people that know how to work through problems and issues so that you can navigate whatever happens together? Because mm-hmm. there's going to be something, mm-hmm. whether it's within the extended family, whether it's outside of the family, whether there are challenges in your family, it's going to happen. Yeah, mm-hmm. It seems like it comes down to what I've said so often just for marriage you know, potential qualities in general is to have that humility of like saying, I'm going to just say that I don't know what I don't know. And Mm -hmm. everything is on the table. Like if we need to, if my spouse says, we're going to have to hit up some counseling, because I'm really struggling here, we're just going to do it. We're not going to act like we know stuff that we don't know, Mm -hmm. Um, which I think is just a helpful posture Mm -hmm. to have in general. Mm -hmm. Because again, like you were saying earlier, Carrie, of having both of you were talking about having objective eyes, you know, on your relationship, people invested in your relationship. I think that's so great. Um, okay, so kind of let's just as we as we finish out here in our last few minutes, let's talk about kind of those two different types of folks. Like one person is like, well, I'm not sure that I'm going to get married and or have kids because I'm just not sure I really care. It's almost like a weird disattachment of, you know, because maybe they've been in a hookup culture or maybe they're just Mm -hmm. like dating around or maybe they're just liking being single. So they almost don't care. And then there's the other person who's like nearing a despair over it because they've maybe wanted family their whole life and they're not finding anyone that they think is, you know, someone that they probably can get married to or at least without years of considerable work or what that looks like. What would be your hope or your your encouragement for each of those types of person? Well, um, you know, we don't want to oversell counseling. But I think if <laughs> if we're avoiding it because of, of, of past trauma or fear, I think we need to uh, address that and, and work on that. I don't think that's a healthy reason to be in and out of a relationship or a healthy reason to be um, make any decision um, because you're making the decision out of a hurtful place and a painful place. Um, for the person that's that's despairing because they have had, you know, a family that um, is not healthy and they're fearful that they can't, you know, they can't do that. One of the things I really want to remind the listener is, you know, Philippians 1.6 that says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who started a good work in you will continue to perfect and complete it until the day of Christ. So I feel like just a simple practice of learning how to practice speaking God's promises over you and of your life. God didn't, you're the image bearer of of God. God didn't deem you so broken that he wasn't going to place his His spirit inside of you. Um, and so I think also, you know, if we're, you know, kind of facing down those anxieties, facing down those lies that we can't have something because we've come from such a broken place, 
um, we can acknowledge that we feel that way and acknowledge those fears, but also speak to those fears and say, yet, nevertheless, this is what God has promised me. Um, and this is what God has, and, and, and if that's true, then why, why couldn't God be faithful to complete this good work in you via marriage, uh, via family, via parenting, et cetera? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this question is, is kind of personal for me because I was a combination of the two. I grew up, my parents divorced, uh, my dad remarried. There were six of us uh, kids that experienced that. I saw the effect that the divorce had on all of us. And so I grew up saying, I'm never going to get married uh, because there's too much hurt. Well, realized that wasn't going to happen. I'm going to get married, but I'm never going to have kids. And so I went back and forth in dating my wife on whether I wanted to even marry her because she wanted to have kids. And I was so adamant that... Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put someone through that potential hurt. And so in that place, God met me, mm-hmm. right? He brings the healing. Mm-hmm. He's the one that we turn to. And and he's the one that continually challenged me to the next step, mm-hmm. challenged me to get married. When we prayed about kids, when we got to that place, we moved forward. Mm-hmm. I have four kids. They mm-hmm. are my life now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so that healing is so important. But mm-hmm. it's difficult to see those blind spots by yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why Carrie is talking about counseling. Yes, mm-hmm. talking to someone who knows what they're doing, it's life-changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and you bring up a good point, Craig, and that is that there are – sometimes maybe we need to hear stories of people who have broken cycles because people are right. doing that every day. And right. it's not – yeah, you're not being delivered something that can't be broken and that certainly um, with the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, isn't redeemable. So mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. really a, a great point to make. Um, To that end, actually, folks, we want to make you aware of a book that we have available here um, for a gift of any amount to Boundless this week. It's called Hope Again, When Life Hurts and Dreams Fade, and it's by Pastor Chuck Swindoll. Um, Some of you know of him. Um, Some of you, maybe your parents know. (laughs) But a classic um, and really, again, for a number of different things, kind of infusing that hope into a situation and realizing that um, there is reason for hope, especially when God is in it. So if you go to boundless.org, you can search for 835. That's this week's episode. Just click on the book cover there. You give a gift to Boundless now in the new year for the work that we're doing, and we're going to send you a copy of this book as our thank you to you. It's called Hope Again. And so uh, you too, thank you so much for weighing in on this. I appreciate it. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks. Finally, and some of you know this because we've uh, given you the heads up on this before, but our counseling team, of which Carrie and Craig are a part, actually are available uh, to give complimentary consultations for those of you that think, maybe I need to take a next step in this. Maybe this is something that's holding me back. And so we want to make you aware of boundless.org slash counseling, or you can call 1-800-THE-LETTER-A and the word family, and uh, you will get the info there to connect connect with one of our counselors here at Focus on the Family. They will talk to you. They'll pray with you. And something that's super cool is they can even refer you to a counselor in your area, someone that has been vetted by our team and that can provide continued care for you. And so that's just a great benefit that we have here at Focus on the Family. And so you might want to check that out as well.
All right, folks. Well, we are finishing out the show by opening up our inbox. And we often, as you know, bring in one of our professional counselors here to answer the question. And that's what we're doing this week. We have got Joni here. Joni, so great to have you. Thank you so much, Lisa. So great to be here. Well, and just, you know, in honor of you being here, we gave you kind of a sticky question. So this is (laughs) going to be uh, exciting. So our listener is wondering, modesty is emphasized sometimes in the Christian community. I'm going to editorialize and say a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Sure but she's saying, as a woman, why should I dress modestly? Well, this is a great question. And I want to say that my answer is going to be for women and for men because it applies to both. So modesty is really an important issue for all of us because it allows us to honor the bodies that God gave us and also to present ourselves appropriately in certain situations, but also to care for the other people around us. So the way we dress or the way we wear our hair or present ourselves or the way we carry ourselves can communicate something to other people. And the question is, what is your intent in that communication? So if your intent is to draw attention to yourself and to make yourself look good to other people, that's not what God intends for us. That's a pride issue, and that's a concern. If your intent is to one-up your peers, to look better uh, so that you will get more attention, that's really an issue of conceit, which is also something that we don't want to... Develop, And the other thing is that you can very unintentionally hurt your brothers and sisters around you. There are so many people struggling with how they look because they compare themselves to other people. And often that starts with looking at pictures or things that are posted where people have... uh, put up flattering pictures of themselves and trying to show things that they admire. So that's that pride and conceit issue again. So I worked on, I actually directed a college counseling center for many years, as you know, and um, we would get lots of questions about modesty. I would also always talk about the intent. But it was interesting because there were the questions about, is this outfit okay? Is this hairdo okay? Is this material okay? Et cetera. How should I present myself? But there were also just as many comments about shame, feeling I am ashamed of myself because I do not measure up. And at one point, we actually had to ask the males on campus not to take their shirts off on the outdoor volleyball court because a lot of young men were coming forward and saying, I'm ashamed because I don't look like that guy out there who's got the six-pack. Now, let me be clear here. I'm sure there were some guys taking off their shirts because they were hot, but there was a whole lot of strutting and stroking and behavior going on that was very clear that these guys were saying, look at me, look how good I look. And it resulted again in those guys, other guys feeling really bad about themselves. And that's not what God intends for us. The other issue is an issue of safety. So we once had a speaker who said, Whatever you reveal on your skin uh, is an invitation for someone of the opposite sex to touch. And we know that a lot of people have been hurt by the way that they have been touched. And so a good way to keep yourself safe is to cover yourself in a way or show yourself in a way that the only skin that's being revealed is the skin that you want to be touched. So your hands or your you know arms or maybe your face or what have you. And then finally, I would say the other thing is that 
I speak to a lot of people who express a lot of regret about being immodest at times in their life. And once they get married, they feel a lot of regret for having given that part of themselves to someone else as opposed to their spouse. If you're immodest before you marry, if you do marry, then when you're with your spouse, you have this beautiful gift to give, and you can deliver it in a package in a way that's appropriate for marriage within an intimate relationship. So that modesty is basically important so that you're not developing pride or conceit, so that you're practicing safety, so that you're caring for your brothers and sisters, and also so that you have something beautiful to present to your future spouse. Hmm. That's really good. And it's so interesting that you brought those points up because usually it's presented in a very shaming way in the sense of like, you are responsible for the sin patterns of XYZ, this guy that may be passing you 50 feet away. And then Mm -hmm. a lot of women especially struggle with that saying, well, I don't want to be that, you know, I don't want to, or or they're just clueless and they don't understand. And so to really think through so practically what you laid out, I think is so helpful. And not that we do want to, you know, like you said, dress, if if we are dressing in a way because we are trying to sexually attract attention for different reasons. I mean, the deeper issue there is so important to get right. at. And I think that's such a great conversation to have and even to ponder and pray about mm-hmm. for those of us who are believers. So thank you for weighing in. You're that. welcome. And I might also mention that in the Bible, The sin of pride is talked about far more than many of the other things that we talk about, Mm -hmm. things that we get concerned about, issues of the day. It is the basis of a lot of sin. And so we really want to be thinking about that and also be thinking that um, there are a lot of things that you might see around you that seem normal and acceptable. But just because something is normal and acceptable doesn't mean that it's the wise thing to do. Mm -hmm. So you really need to think for yourself and think about that intent. That's so good. Well, Joni, thank you so much for weighing in on that. I sure appreciate it. You're welcome. Um, Folks, I just want to remind you as we're finishing out here, a lot of you are podcast listeners, but you don't often hop over to Boundless.org. We want to encourage you to do that, especially as we head into February now, because we're going to have a lot of content around relationships, dating, singleness, especially as we go into V-Day and some of you get super discouraged about that. So we want to make sure that you know about that, whether you want to go to boundless.org and read it, or as we've been talking about on the show, we have Boundless, the audio book now, where you can go over to YouTube and access our um, articles in audio and video format. So you can listen on your commute. It's just a great way of getting a more well-rounded experience of Boundless. So make sure you check that out. If you go to YouTube, just look for boundless.org, our account, and you'll see the videos there, um, as well as some other stuff that we have going on. So in the meantime, I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org from Focus on the Family. God wants true disciples, ones that think like Him, talk like Him, walk like Him, disciples that bring shalom to the chaos of this world. Pursue that path with the RVL Discipleship Series. Bible scholar Ray Vanderlaan will give you the tools to understand the Bible more deeply and inspire you to be a passionate follower of Christ. Watch the first episode at rvldiscipleship.com.